0: Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here. Welcome you to the show and back into the studio. It uh, it looks good, it sounds good, it's great to be back. It's the usual jam-packed show ahead, but first let me introduce you to the team, the somewhat depleted team for this show. First up, it's David Gill. G'day Bear. Roachie,
1: right, I'm so excited. It's one less Zoom meeting per month now. <laughs>
0: And Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono.
1: G'day, Rochi.
2: Great to be back face-to-face and uh, happy birthday to our erstwhile colleague, Mr That's Erstwhile?
0: Well, you punted him, have you?
2: Well, you, for this month. it oh, has gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, so indeed excusing himself from the run on side is Stephen Riley. Uh, Steve, I'll unfortunately, refused to take a net. No, I'm just joking. It is indeed his birthday, <laughs> so happy birthday, Steve-O. Uh, all right, coming up in the show, the Formula One circus was in North America very recently and, wow, hasn't that sport made some inroads stateside? Uh, we'll look at some data. Lots of interesting things going on in the world game, not the least of which is Newcastle getting their club back. If having the sovereign fund of a Middle Eastern petro state taking the keys could be described thus. uh, There's some amazing numbers arising from the recent IPL auction and we have a bumper edition of our occasional segment, It's Not Sport But We Like It, including the sheer ridiculousness of the Balloon World Cup. Of course, we'll wrap up the show with red card, yellow card, where we point the finger at all those questionable off-field behaviours across the sporting world. Use the hashtag RCYC if you see one to let us know. Speaking of those socials at Twitter at forandagainst, underscore, instar dot, and, dot against. and for the old schoolers, we're on email at forandagainst at hotmail.com. Alrighty, let's get into it. The recent US Grand Prix saw one of the more exciting races of the season with Verstappen edging out Hamilton and indeed Ricardo finally one-upping his teammate all weekend. But it was the numbers that grabbed my attention that uh, was a very well-supported race, including uh, the best ever viewership in the US of a Formula One race at, at 1.2 million people, which is probably not in a population, not a lot I should say, in a population of 350, but you've got to start somewhere. They've had a US Grand Prix for, I think it's nine years now, and it seems it's finally taken hold in one of the most parochial sports markets on the planet, Bear.
1: For sure, 150,000 people in the stadium on race day, I think. Pretty much the same on qualifying day, and I think around a hundred thousand for the practice sessions on the Friday. So it made a it made a big impact, and it was a fantastic crowd. You could see the the drivers were really revved up; they were happy to be there. Fantastic, um, fantastic atmosphere. But it it made me think um, a little bit about the the sport of football, and you know, for years, the USA was the last frontier. For, for FIFA and the game of football, and it's it's similar with Formula One. I mean, F- Formula One's the undisputed premier um, version of motor racing globally, but it's never never quite cracked <laughs> the US. But it looks like that's starting to change. And with the ownership of Formula One being American these days, mm. they've got to have their eyes on that market in a in a big way.
0: Yep, looking to expand to two races. Well, they will expand to two races next year with Miami uh, joining the calendar, and killer you mentioned the on-site crowd that's the thing that blew me away because the i don't know whether they were playing with the mics somehow but the noise coming out of that crowd was something like i don't think i've ever heard and they really got behind specific events like when someone came out of the pits ahead of someone else verstappen and hamilton there was a lot of noise coming out of the crowd i mean the yanks are noisy people but um there there was a lot of energy in that crowd
1: there was and it's a bit of a Coliseum-type stadium or mm. track. I don't know if you use the word stadium uh, on a racetrack, but that first corner up the steep hill on a very slow left-hander and you, on the first lap, which was absolutely brilliant Formula 1 racing, probably mm. the best lap of the last decade in Formula 1 with Aussie Dan probably the start of that first lap. Um, but yeah, the roar from the crowd was uh, was fantastic. And the, the, yeah, you're, you're right. They were, kind of roared at all the, the pivotal moments. Um, and I was wondering if, if, if they also have a very good kind of PA or video TV system at the stadium. so that, Because the, the crowd did really seem to be tuned into the action at, mm. at all times.
0: Yeah, good call. And it's int- one thing I read too, talking about Liberty taking ownership, is that one of the th- adjustments they've made and I hadn't sort of picked up on this, but now it makes perfect sense, is they've lowered the camera angles when they follow the cars to give a better idea of speed. John, I know you watch a lot of Formula I'm 1. I'm a yeah, motor
2: racing aficionado, as <laughs> you know, Richie. A uh, couple of questions, though, um, mm-hmm. y- if I may. I mean, you talk about being the last frontier. Um, the US, I would have thought it would be a, a massive motor racing um, uh, fandom or potential fandom. What is it over there? So it's Indy and NASCAR Indy- at, Car- at the moment?
0: IndyCar and NASCAR. has been for quite and, some and- time
2: very stupid question,
0: what is the difference between the two? Uh, Well NASCAR is sedans basically, heavily modified sedans, it looks like a road car, Yep, heavily modified road car, but yeah IndyCar is an aerodynamic vehicle, so it's an open wheeler
2: So I would have thought, I mean watching the Formula 1 cars just themselves, there's a massive market there
0: at at their disposal There is, which is why they've tried to cracking quite some time.
2: Why has it taken so long for it to, if it's just starting to take hold now, is the Drive to Survive Netflix series playing a bit of a role in that, do you think?
0: Well, in part, I think it's because, you know, the old adage that America, only 4% or 5% of the population in America actually have a passport, so they're not aware of what goes on in the rest of the world. But yeah, the, we've covered the Netflix Netflix effect before, Gilly, but it is worth bringing up again because... That's got to contribute to a significant degree.
1: Uh, I think um, for sure it has, and I think I, I think the pandemic has been good for Formula One. A lot of people who may not have watched it in the past are watching it. I think what they really need to crack the US in a big way is either a really good US driver or a really good US team. Um, currently, the only US-owned team is Haas, and out of twenty. Um, drivers They're currently coming 19th and 20th. But uh, is there? Uh, uh, there's big rule changes coming in mm. for next season. And Haas have made no secret of the fact that all of their focus has been on next year. Potential conspiracy theory? Any special favours to the Haas team?
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, this is the inbuilt draft system that Formula One has. Because the, the closer you are to the pointy end, the longer you hang on to developing this year's car whereas the further you are down the back, and especially when you've got a, a significant rule change, as you do, as you point out, Gilly, into 2022, which was going to be into 21, but they delayed it because of COVID. Um, you can you can sort of write off this season and go, well, you know, let's start working on next year. So it's a, it's a little bit of a lottery. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration going to next year because you might see some shuffling of the order. So it's kind of an exciting time in, in F1,
2: and I would have thought smart play by F1 putting it in Texas. I mean, if you're ever going to um, attract a, an audience, uh, I can't imagine it would have been the same in Silicon Valley or, or New York necessarily, but who well, knows?
0: I, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that, but I mean, you know, we can only both go by reputation and generalizations, but Texas isn't the most progressive, outward looking state I would have thought in the country. I mean, you referenced Silicon Valley, Cal- Valley California, maybe that might work because they're a bit more worldly, but anyway, be that as it may, it has worked. It's been there for about nine years, so it's taken a little while. It's been well supported, but it's been a big commitment because the state, I think this is the sixth different US Grand Prix they've had. Uh, I think the most recent one was in a Las Vegas car park. Um, so, you know, they've tried a few things in the states. And it how
2: did they straight- go, Paper?
1: Was it a street track or was it a. No
0: the purpose-built circuit of the americas right Coda, yes, they did, for a few
1: years it was maybe it was when it was in vegas it was they had the half half of the track was the traditional american oval lap and then they had a much tighter section in the middle in the middle of the field but Austin, Texas is very much different to the rest. Yeah, Yeah, very progressive. And it's the hometown to Dell. Was it Austin, Uh, was it? Yeah, and many other tech companies. In fact, a lot of tech companies are moving into Texas to take advantage of the tax rates. There was a lot of choreography going on around the race on the weekend Dan Ricardo was obviously trying very hard to to increase his popularity yeah. um, in Texas speaking with pretty good Texas twang in, in, in and what,
2: what did you guys think of that I thought I found that a little jarring I
1: don't yeah know I, maybe not hundred percent authentic <laughs> 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 definitely looking for some more social media clicks I think yeah.
0: Well, it's. I mean, let's focus on it because I think that was really clever. It, it, clearly, he's done it. Well, For I sure. would have thought he's done it deliberately, whether or not it's his own volition or he's been advised to. Because if he's a magnetic personality, he's probably a, a fairly big personality by the F1 driver standards. And I think that probably resonates with, again, generalizing a bit, the American market. Yeah. Um, if you're
2: trying to sell a, a Formula yeah. 1 driver, would it be Max Verstappen or... Um, or Daniel Ricciardo, Max doesn't have a lot to offer, does he?
1: Well, Max Max is the most popular Formula One driver on the planet, and especially in Europe, the the Pro Verstappen crowd, ninety five percent dressed in orange, can't be based on his personality though. No, it? it's not. No, it's based purely on his talent. I think.
0: Well, it's based purely on his. Well, sorry, and partly on his ability to challenge Lewis Hamilton, which yes. a lot of people are getting sick of, such as me. Yep. Ten years ago, thought Lewis was pretty good, didn't mind him, obviously a very good driver. And he started wearing
1: those orange pyjamas.
0: Uh, you know, the hair, new hair to every race.
1: And steps. his constant complaining to his yeah, technical yeah. team during the race. Mm. He's such a whinger. Another piece of choreography that I thought was interesting and definitely intentional was, I don't know if you saw um, Sergio Perez's post-race interview, and they asked him, you know, what did you think about um, the race coming back to the USA? And he didn't answer that question in English. He answered it in Ah, Spanish. Muchas gracias por tu apoyo. And he was um, a big part of Formula One trying to break into the USA is getting the Hispanic community behind Uh, F1. I think Perez first came into Formula One when Racing Point was Mexican owned. Okay. Uh, and he was definitely kind playing of going, up to it. playing yeah. up to the the, the Spanish um, speaking population in the US, which is which is huge.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I mean, Texas obviously bordering uh, Mexico, so, so yeah, that's it, it's a good point.
2: It sounds like it's a deliberate strategy if they're having a, a double race or two races in the US next year. It, it clearly is something they're trying to break into. Makes sense financially.
0: And the next one is in Miami, it's a party town. That'll be a street circuit around the um, I forget the name of the stadium, but the main stadium in you know downtown Miami kind of thing. And there's sort of talk of a third one, but I'll believe that when I see it. Um, <clears throat> Gilly, I do have to confess, you're referencing that track earlier. I need to go back. The previous effort wasn't in Vegas. What you're thinking of, which was the previous effort, was at Indianapolis. Right, Where they of used course. Yeah. one, maybe two of the big corners of the traditional oval track, and they had an infield section. So, yeah, you've uh, drawn attention to an error of mine. Thank you very much.
2: You'll almost get me involved in motor racing here, and gents. We'll, you well, making it sound you watched, very exciting. Have
0: you watched Drive to Survive?
2: Uh, No, I've watched bits and pieces of it. But as you know, Rochi, my 18-month-old boy is a massive Cars fan. So um, he's seen Cars 1, 2, and 3, I think we're up to 48 times now. So I will be forced to get into Motor I am very happy point.
0: to kidnap him and take him out to Eastern Creek for the uh, the, the races of the V8 races. You, you, you out there. are his spirit animal, I yeah. think, Richie. Yeah. yeah. The other clever marketing ploy before we uh, leave this is the tie into the NBA. Did you see any of this? So they they devised cars um, that had the livery of NBA teams, and so the, and you know, how many NBA teams are there? Thirty two. What's Not the sure. number? It's more than the, More than twenty, which is the number of F1 cars. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure whether any of the design work carried over to the race day or to the real world car. Maybe not, but yeah, they produced um, you know virtual vehicles that were doled up in all the different NBA teams. Because oh, of I did see that. NBA season's just started, right? Clever. Exactly, really clever. exactly. Um, look, before we leave Formula One, uh, and and I just want to go back to Dan. So I was very, very pleased with myself uh, the other day. So Dan had a post on LinkedIn. Yes, he's got a LinkedIn profile, which I want to come to in a tick. Uh, and he, re- he was talking about the calendar has been announced. He was talking about Melbourne, looking forward to being there. And I was the first commenter and said, you know, see you there, Dan. I'll be the one in the papaya cap. Ha, ha. And he liked it. Dan Ricardo. Dan liked your comment. Liked my LinkedIn post. Was it actually Dan? I'm not too sure about that, John. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I, I mean, suspect Dan someone else. Spends I, I a lot
2: of time up, on social media, so s- it could be him.
0: His role. So he's on LinkedIn on the pretext of being the chief optimism officer at Optus. Sounds like a legitimate gig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's getting paid legitimately for he it. Is, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I suspect he's not sitting in the Optus offices three days before the US Grand Prix, uh, seeing who's going to uh, comment on his post. COO. Chief Optimism Officer, wow. exactly. I wonder what the KPIs are around that. You know, Big he's, smile.
2: He's yeah, just smile, smile. a lot. Yeah, he doesn't even idea. have to try. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, okay. he's born for it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting, um, before we sort of finish Formula 1, it's interesting, I think, to see an Aussie driver getting an, an Aussie-specific sponsorship gig because it's not a sport that resol- resonates a lot with Australians. It's it generally shown outside, you know, reasonably socially okay hours, at, you know, late at night and overnight. So, yeah, because I don't I don't think Webber, just off the top of my head, I don't think he really got a, a sponsorship deal of any substance. Magnitude. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that was, you know... Clearly, a domestic, an Australian domestic deal like Ricardo. I think Ricardo's is a little
2: bit more saleable than Weber ever was. I think you might be right.
0: Yeah, he be he's
1: right. effervescent.
0: Indeed. Anyway, so that's Formula One. Keep an eye on as the uh, the exciting season concludes. Uh, John, you heard the term "sports washing" for the first time in the course of our last show. Welcome to the follow-up lesson to reinforce what you learned. It's always been
2: educational. This show for oh, me, Oh,
0: My word, yeah. Well, we just learnt that about motorsports. So um, here we are in football. Uh, why are you on the show? Newcastle United <laughs> fans could be seen rejoicing at the recent news their club had a change of ownership. No, it wasn't some much-loved local football benefactor, but the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, no less, for just over £300 million, apparently. So, Bear, if the fans were celebrating that, who the hell owned them before this?
1: So, uh, Newcastle United is... It's one of the the biggest, most famous clubs in England, regularly attracts over 50,000 spectators, huge local support, but really have not performed very well consistently for a long period of time and a lot of that's had to do with their leadership and ownership so they had before the the Saudis they had a man called Mike Ashley for 14 years Uh, when he came to Newcastle he was celebrated as a savior because the family owned the club before that were the Shepherd family and they were an absolute disaster of mismanagement well-meaning but kind of treated the club as a family play thing. And the things that, the things that went on at Newcastle United in that era were, were just laughable. It was Keystone Cops kind of stuff. Then came along uh, Mike Ashley, uh, who was a local at Geordie, and owned a, a discount sportswear um, business. So when he came into the club, uh, I guess in the early 2000s, he, he was then the, the saviour and he was going to lead Newcastle United to the promised land and the glory that their huge support uh, to, uh, warranted. Except that it turned out that Mike Ashley was much more interested in Mike Ashley than in Newcastle United. He never invested much in the club and he was always looking for a buyer. And there have been many attempts uh, to buy Newcastle United through his era, but nobody ever, ever offered Quite enough, but then along came Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, Mohammed bin. Yes, so, friends Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think after the Shepherd family and the Mike Ashley era, uh, anything is a step up for Newcastle United.
0: So is it going to be another powered by money, ala Man City, brought from relative or well, not obscurity, but you know uh, mediocrity is the word I was after. Is 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 money the solution? Is that all it takes?
1: That's the template, and I don't think the the money brings instant success. But um, as the Liverpool manager Jurgen Kopp, said during the week, they will have money now. They will make mistakes with that money, but they will learn quickly. And in maybe two years, maybe three years, maybe five years, they're going to be like Manchester City.
2: Mm. Be good for the Premier League. I mean, if you leave aside the uh, the moral. Um, social issues, I mean, the quality of the Premier League will increase massively, you would think, to have another big club like that.
1: For sure. And I think I think the Premier League now, a- across the board, in terms of its depth, across the 20 clubs in the, in the Premier League, it's just way ahead of any other league uh, in, in Europe and, and therefore the world.
2: Mm. Aren't the Newcastle fans, though, I think you touched on this in your opening comments, Bear, but aren't they... I mean, they're renowned as kind of salt-of-the-earth mining town... I mean, you, you talked about north. You, you talked about the ownership. Ironically enough, I think you, there are some comparisons with the Newcastle Rugby League club in, in Australia. Nathan Tinkler purchasing it—that was an absolute debacle. He was obviously in it for himself, but it's a similar kind of fan base, isn't it? Um, so, how are they going to deal with a, a rich? Um, Petro State owning
1: their club. Well, I think based on the reaction so far, they're not really thinking too deeply yeah. about the. Um, <laughs> they're going to
2: be fine, aren't they? <laughs> they they're going to be fine.
1: And and look, you know, you look at the ownership of Premier League clubs. You've got obviously the um Abu Dhabi connections to Manchester City. Yep. Lots of mm. question marks around that. You've got Roman Abramovich at, at Chelsea. He's been there for a long time now, but he yeah. um he's you know he he didn't come to his wealth in in. Mm. Orthodox. He he didn't own uh, discount yeah. sports stores,
2: <laughs> or maybe he did quite a few of them at gunpoint. Yeah. Discount
0: oil refineries, perhaps yeah. in the old USSR. Um, and it, uh, you were talking about Newcastle fans there, John. It reminds me actually. I, I'll never forget being struck when I did some travel around England and Europe, focusing on England. Did a bit of a lap around the UK, and I'm talking early night, sorry late nineties here, not quite that old yet, Paul. Uh, and like every third shop in Newcastle had jerseys for sale. You know, there, there was just Nowhere near the same overt mm. fandom of a club in a city like there was in Newcastle. Not by a daylight second. Never forget that.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a one club city. There's you oh, know yeah. Sunderland's nearby, and there's a there's a famous rivalry between Newcastle United and, and Sunderland. But Newcastle's not a small city, mm. and it's it's a it's a one one club city. Uh, but in, you know, if you look at how the EPL um, is owned these days, you've kind of got the maybe the big. 10 clubs, and you've got clubs like Manchester City, Chelsea, and now Newcastle United that are owned by these kind of dubious rich owners, and then you've got what I would call the venture capital clubs, which are Manchester United, Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool. Spurs, and those clubs are now – crying poor <laughs> because <laughs> they're only interested in the money, but they they, they run their clubs like a business, whereas... Uh, they, they, don't, don't... they don't kidnap and dismember Saudi journalists or anything like that. Mm, yeah. yeah, little things like that. Yeah.
0: And so it was an interesting twist. So within a handful of days of, of all this being announced, uh, this, cha- this change of ownership in Newcastle, uh, the EPL decided to bring in a temporary ban on teams from having sponsorship deals with companies linked to their owners. And funnily enough, Newcastle and Man City, then being owned by the City Football Group based in Abu Dhabi, is it not fair? Uh, they were the only two um, to vote against it. You wouldn't believe it. The R. S. Yes.
1: Yeah. Which, which goes back to this fantastic um, example of Manchester City deriving, oh, after the the financial fair play rules came into play, which kind of forced mm. clubs to, to keep their balance sheet relatively clean. Which, what,
0: 10 years now? Maybe not quite? Uh,
1: probably, yeah, seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Isn't
2: their major sponsor... Hat.
1: Well, yeah. Etihad yeah. is now. But before that, a, a big chunk of their revenue came from the Abu Dhabi Department of Culture and Tourism. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, you know, that, that internationally renowned tourism destination, of, Abu Dhabi. A lot
2: of Manch- Mancunians would be heading across to Abu Dhabi. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant.
0: Where are you off to for your summer break? I wish I could do the Manc accent. No. Oh, Abu Dhabi. Where else would you
1: go? (laughs) It's
0: lovely this time of year. Uh, In local football developments, the A-League looks like uh, they're set to uh, get a potentially game-changing, not literally, injection of cash. Uh, So speaking of private equity, uh, the private equity group Silver Lake, who you might recall us talking about in reference to their trying to get a, s- a slice of the All Blacks action. Well, that
2: fell through, didn't it? Well, it, it hasn't hasn't been consummated, I as I I think option B.
0: I'm not yeah. going, I don't think it's actually fallen through yet. But um, nonetheless, Silver Lake uh, looks like, as, as we as we go to digits, uh, picking up a 30% stake of the Australian Professional Leagues. Or it's APL. big news, isn't it? Massive news. It is. APL being obviously the, the new group that's seceded, if that's the right word, from the from the FFA to run the, the A-League, both men's and women's. So and I've always
2: thought... 130 th- mil. It has always seemed to me that the A League's financial stability has been on a bit of a precipice, but mm. you know something like this. You would think would cement it yeah.
1: uh, in a good way, which is great. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really disappointed, Stevens, not here tonight because <laughs> he would be shooting it down right now <laughs> and telling them that they've made the worst business decision in the history of seems, sports business. Seems like a good deal. Getting on the phone, I maybe mean, we can just catch him between but courses. But it's, it's kind of interesting to me because these guys are obviously very sophisticated investors, and they're not going to be thro- throwing. Yeah, you know, even for them, that that's that's not an insignificant amount mm. of money. So. They must have done some research. Some value there, yeah. yeah. And I, I'd be fascinated to know what research they've done. I imagine it's very deep, like mm. into the demographics of Australia and grassroots participation and all kinds of.
2: Well, we might have to get our regular listener and um, private equity lawyer Nick Kibriotis back to yeah. talk about that. That's next show. Call.
0: Well, I think what's probably helped is it's because it's Happy Days the uh, um, the A League. So with Viacom CBS, who obviously Channel Ten own Channel Ten here. They recently signed a five-year, $200 million broadcast deal for the domestic rights of the leagues, um, and also see that which in turn sees the A-League broadcast and free-to-air for the first time in this country in, what, 15, up to 16th season kind of thing. So presumably that fed into um, the decision-making process of Silver Lake. Must have. Um, who, in a nice little bit of circularity, Silver Lake also owned 10% of City Football Group. <laughs> Speaking of private equity, uh, one suspects we will be for quite some time when it comes to sport. CVC got their mitts on one of the two new uh, expansion clubs, are they calling them that, in the IPL. D- do you guys remember when we marvelled at the numbers surrounding the IPL on the show, I don't know, maybe only a couple of years ago, and we were blown away by yeah. the numbers? Uh, well, it's, it's gone a bit like the Sydney property market since then, hasn't it?
2: really has, yeah, even more so.
0: So two new teams. Uh, who can take us through the uh, some of the detail?
2: Yeah, happy to Richie. So um, two new teams. I think uh, Look Now and the other one I can't pronounce it very well. I don't think is it Ahmedabad. Uh, Ahmedabad. That sounds good enough. Yeah, Ahmedabad franchises. Mm. So we're talking numbers here. Overall, I think one was Aussie one point three billion for the Looknow outfit, and the Ahmedabad one was one billion dollars. Um, absolutely extraordinary numbers. I think the baseline they were looking at was three hundred million. For each team, and it's they're, they're both it went to auction mm. and they'd sold for north of one billion. I mean, the interesting part of this, from my perspective, apart from the, the cash involved, it's going to make the IPL longer. Um, so, at the moment, I think they pay about 60 games, it'll increase it because there's now 10 teams rather than eight up to 74 matches. So, the length of the tournament will be stretched. It's going to have a big impact, I think, on. Um, scheduling. We've talked about this a few times about what impact it might have on the long forms, longer forms of the game, but it just shows how dominant Twenty Twenty is, and particularly in India.
1: Mm, mm. Interesting to see that the the investors in one of the clubs was the Glazer family, who also owns Manchester United, and these guys are only interested in one thing, and that's that's money. So that's they say that, growth. Yeah, and they're not going to be happy with seventy four games.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, you, well, Gilly, you you, you you talked about research that Silver Lake must have done for their one hundred and thirty mil. Imagine the, uh, the the research that they would have gone into, knowing that these things were of, of such greater value than the mm. reserve price, as it were. And the other thing too that I remember being I was struck by, and I wish I sort of wrote it down, which I obviously didn't, is the the multiple that these two prices are over. The previous auction, yeah, values, totally. what, Three or four times, and, like three times maybe. And
2: think about the global climate in which the auction has taken place. I mean, it just shows that the IPL is pandemic-proof because the last two versions or iterations of the pan, of the IPL have occurred mid-COVID, um, and and they've still managed to be massively successful without crowds. First time round. Second time they had to punt it off to, was it Abu Dhabi where they played?
0: So
1: it just
2: shows, you know, empty stadiums or not, Mm -hmm. it can still be a massive money spinner.
0: It's all about
2: the TV.
1: It's that Indian middle class, which I think the population of India now is close to one and a half billion. The middle class is, you know, in Australian numbers, massive, hundreds of millions, but it's still growing very, very quickly. So the TV audience, that you know, they've they they're nowhere near um, saturation the, point. Nowhere near saturation saturation point. So it's going to be a hundred and fifty game season, baseball style, within ten years.
0: Wow! You heard it here first, there from David Gill. Uh, and up next on the shootout to NRL. So speaking of expansion, the Redcliffe Dolphins. I think they were. They're, yeah. not, they're not Redcliffe anymore, are they? Just the Dolphins. Will be the uh, club seventeen for the NRL. Yeah, we're talking, you know,
2: we were talking big numbers, but we're back to Australia. $75 million injection by News Limited, which assisted in um, in the expansion team. Exciting news, though. I think we've been talking about this for a while. it had been predicted that another team would come in. Um, I think this will be the first. There'll be another expansion team. They won't have an odd number well, of teams to for be. too long, yeah. so they'll bump it up to 18. Tassie team, maybe? Well, North Sydney Bears has been oh, mentioned a couple right. of times. Really? But
0: the, the rugby league equivalent of AFL's Tasmania. North that's Sydney
2: true. Bears. The interesting thing for me on this is Wayne Bennett.
0: Um, yeah. I mean,
2: Wayne, what an absolute legend! No matter what opinion you have of him, either as a person or as a Queenslander or whatever it might be, this guy is seventy-two years of age. Mm. He signed a four-year deal. Oh, really? He's he's <laughs> kicking off a, a new franchise from scratch. Had a little bit of a, a Google around to see uh, are there any older coaches at the top of their game, or have there been? I don't think there is. So, mm. Bill um, Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots, he's sixty-nine. He's had forty-six seasons in the NFL. Wow! um, About twenty-five as a top um, top top-ranked coach. But Alex Ferguson, Gillies—he was was early
1: seventies. Early seventies when he when he he pulled the pin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. after twenty-nine years at Man United, I think it was. So
2: Bennett will be seventy-six when this deal finishes,
0: if he makes it.
1: Good. It's amazing, though. I mean, just to reinvent and and Mm. and stay up to date with the game. Mm.
0: Uh, Look, it's all about the broadcaster, of course, Uh, it's Jono, I think you alluded to, because while while a new club was being added to the game, the NRL digital platform was being eviscerated, uh, obviously, so it doesn't cannibalise the digital platform of the broadcast rights holders. Outrageous, isn't it? And
2: also, I think the NRL, not only that, but they promised to reduce the number of free-to-air games
0: that the Broncos would have, obviously, to drive up Foxtel's subscribers. (laughs) Such a cynic, Jono, such a cynic. That's why we've got you on the show. Uh, And continuing the shootout. uh, Look, the FIFA FIFA split. Have you read about this? Uh, FIFA, the the game. The he he says the game while he's twiddling his thumbs on make believe console. Bears a bit of
1: a gamer from way back.
0: How many hours have you spent playing FIFA on the Xbox thing or whatever it was that you might have had?
1: Not that many, but I'm familiar with I'm familiar with the game concept. And actually, I watched this um this football weekly football show on um bin sport, and they actually pretty much every week. Part of the show is you watching the two game hosts playing each other in FIFA. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> and it's good viewing. It's, it's not bad. They it's okay. Do they commentate themselves? They commentate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so there's been a 20 years. So just in case you're not aware of what we're talking about, so FIFA, the organisation, have licensed their name to for, to EA Sports, Electronic Arts, or EA Sports, um, for EA Sports to call their soccer game FIFA. And there's been a number of iterations. I think you know you can pick A league teams these days, kind of thing. Um, so apparently there's been about twenty billion dollars worth of sales across that that twenty years, um, which you know. So obviously EA Sports has done well at it, but so has FIFA. So apparently its licensing arrangement has grown to become the organisation, as in FIFA's single most valuable. Commercial agreement, and they're talking around about 150 million bucks wow. a year. So that's not that's not too bad. But if but as I say, FIFA have now said, hang on a tick. FIFA, the organisation, uh, has said, hang on a tick. Let's um, recut this deal. Let's redo it because apparently the, the current ten year deal, it's a long long term deal, is due to finish just after the Qatar World Cup. So there's a little bit of argy barge. I think the talks have been going on for as long as a couple of years, and it looks like it's going to go south. But um, uh, EA Sports been clever. They um, whilst they might lose the name, they've got a whole lot of licensing agreements with UEFA, with all the big the big leagues individually and indeed certain clubs. So they might lose the name FIFA but they'll have everything else.
1: And it's not a bad brand to kind of disassociate yeah. yourself from these <laughs> that, days.
0: That is true. Well I like the Schutzpa, the hutzpa how we pronounce it. So yeah, FIFA, we don't need you actually. Thanks for the twenty years, but uh, you're out of here. Onto It's Not Sport Will Be Like It, which is look it only features occasionally on this show when we find something of interest. But we found three. There's just so much going on. We we want to quickly rattle through these. So first up is women's lawnmower racing in none other than Texas. Here we are back at Texas. We opened the show talking about the Formula One Grand Prix in Texas. Well, it's obviously had a trickle-down effect. Um, because um, you know the not the men's competition in lawnmower racing's been going for a while. But the Lone Star uh, Lone Star Mower Racing Association has started welcoming the women, and look like a lot of sports around around the globe, it's it's the women's game that sees the real growth, and apparently it's going <laughs> from strength to strength. How good how would that be, racing lawnmowers?
1: This one looks a lot better than the one in England that we covered many years ago, yeah. because if if I remember correctly, that was a lot of cutting technique in in yeah, those it races. It wasn't pure speed. Yeah.
0: yeah, hang on, I think there's. Sorry to butt in, but we did do um, like tractor, tractor. There was a tractor racing. Oh, maybe, oh, maybe I'm confusing different. Yeah, different my, my mowing sports.
1: Hard to keep track. It's so, amazing that pun intended. <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: It's
1: it's amazing in a um, litigation crazy country like America that this sport has exists at all because it, it sounds like it's basically modified lawnmowers yeah. and travelling at speeds of up to 40 miles per hour. Yeah, I did, see there's been some crashes. Possibly go
0: wrong, exactly. And, but look, I mean, this is not dissimilar to you know your hire carts, the outdoor high carts you might have experienced in Australia. I know we've experienced uh, over here because they're essentially lawnmower engines in the, in the back of them. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a similar kind of... It's just that the, the carts um, have a lower centre of gravity. These right. things are still the... Uh, you can only lower a ride-on lawnmower so much.
2: Bring it to Australia, Roji. Come on.
0: I think it's a good idea. Look, I, I looked, read this article, looked at the pictures. Have gone. That that's unreal. and of course the cost of entry is uh, is what's so attractive. Sure. They only costs you a couple of grand to buy a lawnmower. Uh, and there's
1: no shortage of lawnmowers in this country.
0: No, well, it's all grass to race on, I suppose. Too. Um, uh, this is a sport for everybody," said cattle rancher and racer Kevin Council of Madison Madisonville. And I failed to take note of the. Well, I presume that's Texas. Participants come from all walks of life, he says. It's a cornucopia of what people do for a living. We don't have any preachers, though, probably because there's too much swearing. And, uh, look, yes, our second instalment of It's Not Sport, We Like It is uh, cheerleading. I think mm-hmm. it's like cheerleading. Is it called cheerleading, cheer dancing? It's a reasonable sport. It's not a sport, which is why it's in It's Not Sport, oh, We on. Like It. It's it, It's on the periphery of sport because it's supporting sport, but it's not a What's happening sport. in the world of cheerleading, Richie? The Aussies won. Oh, yeah. what's well, a sport? we got to go. <laughs> at the Olympics with the... Uh, <laughs> whatever Skateboarding, BMX, exactly. whatever yeah. yeah, look, I don't have a lot on this, so um, you know, cut me off quickly if if, uh, if you don't either because I ran out of free logins on the media organisation <laughs> that I was reading the article on. But, we won so, a gold medal.
1: It's great news. Yeah, it didn't catch my attention quite as much as the next one you're about to get to. And it was... Uh, it you're, was jumped, you're pushing ahead. are you? I'm not, not going to push okay. your head just yet, but it was... A pandemic um, event. Yes. So they did all of their cheerleading in a deserted gymnasium in, in Melbourne. Yeah, it's a
2: it involves Melbourne. teams of girls and women, some men in co-ed teams, throwing each other in the air, balancing in complex pyramids and pulling off chains of synchronised
1: flips. It sounds like a sport. And if you beat the USA in that, I yeah. think that's a great achievement.
0: Good point. You might have made a good point, here, guys. I'll elevate uh, cheerleading into the pantheon of known sports. <laughs> and uh, finally on It's Not Sport But We Like It, Gilly... Uh, yes, it, it, this is a good one. And look, presumably, um, look, this. I think this is where the absence of Steve Riley will also be fet, uh, felt uh, quite profoundly, because the concentration of puns available in the mm, following few minutes is the world's best practice. So, Steve, we'll, we'll do what we can in your absence. So, did you catch it? If you're on social media, <laughs> there's a very high, high chance you did the Balloon World Cup. What a classic! Absolutely. Put on your glasses. Absolutely. What brilliant. are the
2: rules of the Balloon World Cup?
0: I think the only one is you've got to hit the balloon up.
2: you got to hit it upwards, and if it hits the ground, you
0: lose a point, as I understand it. Well, the other team loses a point. Yeah, it was For the other team yeah So point. it's almost
1: yeah. like a contact sport, although one of the rules is that you have to stay out of the way of the like, other team. Like
0: squash, I heard it described. Yeah. Oh, okay,
1: and it also seemed like in the arena that they kind of had obstacles like couches yeah, and TVs. Well. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I think that's the sponsors doing. So just to backtrack in case people didn't see it, So two players, both helmeted up, so opposing (laughs) sides, opposing countries. This is a legit, well, legit inverted commas, World Cup. Uh, In a a space the size of, I'd say, what, a a small living room? A living room kind of, and kitted out like a living room. And yeah, so these two players were alternating hitting a balloon, your standard balloon, uh, up in the air, in the hope that, or in a, such a way that they would hope that the other player wouldn't get it before it touched the ground. And I
2: saw an eighteen-year-old Peruvian was the World yeah. Cup winner. Yeah. There were uh, three hundred fans packed into the stadium, and apparently six hundred thousand people watching on <laughs> YouTube or whatever. It uh, was. Uh, and
1: masterful a switch, with his switch. with his drop shot, apparently, which uh, seems to be the the skill. So the drop just shot. up, but just oh, not just a touch, touch. Hit it up, just, up, yeah, just yeah. a just touch behind
0: the cupboard kind of thing. Yeah, um, another sport we need to bring to Australia. But I mean. This this has so many applications because, of course, everyone's had a go at this kind of thing. Kids without birthday a, parties. Well, yeah. that's right. When you get yeah. to our ages and you've got little kids and you, you are going to birthday parties. It really put your back out, though. Oh, I would have thought. Can you picture it? You know, a bunch of middle aged blokes after a couple of beers. <laughs> <laughs> kids. in that balloon. <laughs> Anyone got a helmet?
1: Let's give it I'd a try I'd be fascinated to actually watch it next. because it's it would be there be, must be a lot of strategy involved yeah. because you know mm. the balloon comes down to earth um, very slowly standard rate Well yeah. we do
2: have a for against Christmas party coming up it's BYO, <laughs> BYO balloon I don't know.
0: I'd also we'll leave it now but I, I'd, I'd love to see it'll get to the point we need a VAR to determine whether it's mm. an actual up touch. T- touch or
2: if you touched it
0: yeah. yeah that can get really technical and really really dirty. however, It is now time to move on to Red Card, Yellow Card. Yes, Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy poking fun at sports folk who have um, mucked up off the field of play, who've done something they'd rather we all forget about, and it's our job to make sure... That we don't forget about it. Um, Jono, lead us off.
2: Sure, Reggie. Um So this week, uh, a slightly more serious one from me, oh, which is highly unusual, is. red card, yellow card-wise. Um, we've seen...
0: No fart jokes or nudity or anything like that? Not yet, okay. no,
2: but let's see how we go. Um, so we, we've all seen how sport can be used as an agent for social change and acceptance and the like. Um, it, re, in recent times, A-League player Josh Cavallo came out um, as a gay man, believe it or not, being the first ever... Um, mm. top-flight soccer player or male soccer player in the world to ever do so. You know, a great thing received exceptionally well. This um, is a red card. You like giant, I know, I'm know, getting there. Okay. I'm just making a bit of a compare and contrast. Oh, my contrast is, and my nomination straight to red, I think, is South African cricket player Quentin de Kock mm. for refusing to take a knee or to otherwise acknowledge cricket's efforts to combat racism. Um, I know he has in recent times come out and apologised and said that he, he'll Um, do so next time. But I really do think uh, Quentin needs to have a good hard look at himself, perhaps have a bit of a chat with the great man Michael Holding, who's spoken Mm. very powerfully about this issue. Mm. And I've heard uh, uh, Michael Holding speak a number of times about it. Um, But, yeah, I I thought that was very jarring and, um, you know, it was off the field of play and I'm giving him a red or nominating him for a red.
1: Wow. Yeah, no arguments there. That is a
0: serious nomination. John. I'm glad I started with you. Sorry, Richie. That's like none. I don't apologise, um, Bear. This is a, a challenge for you to, to um, shift things just ever so slightly.
1: Yeah, I, well, I have I, great faith. I, I've, I've got a world first for the for and against red card, yellow card. I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I might be wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time that we have nominated a sports person uh, for the quality of their poetry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is it Shane Warne again? No, quality.
0: It's, so not bad quality, good quality. Well, I mean,
1: I'll let you be the okay, judge of that. Right, yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm um, not going to, I'm not going to try and sway you either way. Uh-huh. Uh, so this came from uh, former Manchester United uh, football star Eric Cantona, uh-huh. a, a man known for his eloquence and odd statements through the years. So he has passed form uh, in this respect, and he was uh, receiving a philosopher. Uh, absolutely, and he was uh, receiving an award from UEFA for service to football. And I, I, if, if you don't mind, I'd just like to, to read his poetry. Oh, please,
2: please do. And of I wish I could
1: you. do a French accent, but <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to go with, with, with my voice and hopefully I'll um, do it justice. <clears throat> As flies to wanton boys, we are for the gods. They kill us for the sport. Soon the science will not only be able to slow down the aging of, our, of the cells, soon the science will fix the cells to the state. And so we will become eternal. Only accidents, crimes, wars will still kill us. But unfortunately, <laughs> crimes so and wars will multiply. I love football. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> was this a was it a speech or
0: said it out loud?
1: He said it out loud. Yes, okay. upon accepting um, his his award. So did,
2: uh, he, did he read it, or was it just a stream the of cup. consciousness?
1: I perhaps? I don't think it was off the cuff. Wow. Uh, it, do you remember his When the Seagulls Follow the Trawler? Yeah. Comment? So he has oh, yeah, form, yeah. has form. Yeah. But um, at
0: least I understood that analogy. That was the press, metaphor, wasn't it? But what? I don't get what, what, what did he say there, sorry? Do you understand what, did what mean? he actually said? Yeah. I don't want to it, get all it, sort of too into it. In,
1: in, the, here, in, the, in the recent, in his most yeah, recent this, poem. This yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I think, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I think he was talking about <laughs> science <laughs> And technology <laughs> uh, And I'm struggling to see how he connected that back to football
2: I did like the photo that went with it It'd be fair to say Eric's had a long and tough COVID it Hasn't seen a hairdresser for a long time And he's looking pretty ragged, isn't
1: he? He is But I'm not going to nominate him for anything I think I no, you, know, people, you, you have to I, um, well, It's got to be yellow it's Okay, like that There's mm. no
0: red there But it's just a yellow for banging on a bit of poetry Onto the uh, the, the bowling hordes It's a harsh yellow, but we have no choice <laughs> Sorry, Eric Correct, correct um, look, I want to stick with football. <clears throat> David Beckham is mm. my nomination. Oh, I see your picture interest there, Gilly. Yes, correct. I have changed since our production meeting for good reason, as you're about to find out. So, Beckham has recently become an ambassador in the brand sense rather than the foreign service sense for Qatar. Cha ching. Qatar. You really? Seen you seen no, you haven't no. Seen I have seen this. Yeah, so with the 2022 World Cup a year away, Bex has signed up to be the face of Qatar for a decade. Big bucks. In a deal apparently worth up to 150 million squid uh, over the, over that 10-year period. Although in fairness, there's, at this stage, there is some dispute from sources about the actual amount, but that, that's neither here nor there. It hasn't gone down well with the human rights campaigners. Uh, there are some sources who say that 6,500 migrant workers have died in Qatar related to construction there. Uh, nor the gay community, given Qatar's somewhat conservative attitude to, uh, to that, to the to saying. So um, a bit of opportunity for um, pinning a, a card to Bex there, but here's the kicker. The, folk, the internet never forgets, folks, because there's a statement from Beckham 10 years ago when the shoe was on the other foot, so to speak, when he was ambassador for the UK mm-hmm. bid, World Cup bid. 2018, 22 World Cup bids that lost to the latter, Qatar. which of course was won by his now good friends at Qatar. Mm. So at the time, as is 2011 disgruntled by the outcome, Mr. Posh Spikes, Spice, damn, it, I mucked that up. Mr. Posh Spice talked of his suspicion that England lost its World Cup bid because of corruption behind the scenes at FIFA.
2: Nothing that a uh, tw- hundred and fifty million quid. Can't fix or change his mind on.
0: Oh, red card, David Beckham. Yeah, I think that takes it, Richie. Well done. Oh, <clears throat> yep, I was dope when I saw that one. That was a beauty. Uh, and on that note, it is now time to wrap up the show with the end of Red Card, Yellow Card. That brings for and against to to its conclusion for another exciting show. Uh, thank you for being part of that, Simon Johnson.
1: Great to be out of lockdown and back, Roachie.
0: Sure is, David Gill. Good to see you again in the flesh. Just want to reach out and touch.
1: Great to be back. That was the most intellectual Red Card, Yellow Card ever. I'm not sure I like <laughs> yeah. the new direction, but...
0: We might have to get the editing uh, editing suite out to that. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks once again for joining us on For and Against. Don't forget the socials on Twitter at and Against underscore. On Insta, it's for.and.against. Dot dot and email, you can get us, forandagainst at hotmail.com. So feel free to get involved in us on the socials. Otherwise, I, we look forward to speaking to you again in a month's time. Until then, it's bye for now.